0: All right, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Racing our way through the Gospel of Luke. Not racing. (laughs) Hopefully we'll be done with Luke by next Easter. (laughs) We'll see. One of the radical things about being in the ministry is witnessing God do miracles. Now, I'm not, and we're going we're going to look at a miracle that, that Jesus performed, one of those physical manifestations of the of the power of God's creation. We're going to see that in today's text. And 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 I have in in my history as a believer witnessed some of that power. But what we typically see is much more subtle manifestations of God's power, Uh, all of them miraculous. Anytime God bursts out of the, you know, out of the reality of heaven into the reality of our perception of reality, it's a miracle. And we see that in so many different ways. We see that in you know, people coming to a knowledge of Christ, that's a miracle. In their understanding of God's word, that's a miracle. In the, the, the transformation of lives and relationships and marriages and families and, and, and whatever, including real you know, physical miracles like healings and, and different things like that. You know, God works miracles. And we're going to look at one of those miracles today and see how God works does something he takes the ordinary thing an ordinary thing and he does something extraordinary with it and i think i think god just loves to do that you know i i joke and say i think i think god loves to show off you know not in the way we do but just the manifestation of his glory and his power and his majesty and his grace and his mercy he just loves to show off and we're going to see him do that today So let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and we thank you, Lord. We come, Lord, bringing whatever junk we've been carrying around all week. And Lord, I know there's a lot of it, Lord, and some of it is so heavy. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would either help us to lay it down, Lord, that we might be able to sit and to rest, or Lord, that you would increase our strength, that we'd be able to bear it with even greater strength. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. We pray, Lord God, you want to speak to us here today. I believe that, that there is something you want to say to every person in this room, every person watching online, and any person who ever watch or listen to this message, you have something you want to say to them right now. But Lord, we have to have spiritual ears to hear it. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would open our ears to hear and I pray for myself, Lord God, that you would open my ears to hear what you would say to me, either things that you need to say to Rick or that you want to say through Rick. Lord, I give it all to you now in Jesus' name, amen. The title of this morning's message is A Story to Follow. Jesus is continuing his earthly ministry, and that's what we're going to see going on you know, throughout the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see him doing many different things, teaching, working miracles, just lots of stuff going on. There'll be a whole series of these things. We're going to focus on on one account today. And we're going to pick it up, chapter 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. You could actually insert there to hear Jesus, but the word of God is what it says. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Jesus' message and ministry right from the very beginning was to come and to speak about and to teach about and to preach about the kingdom of God. You see that all throughout. Everything that Jesus did either built upon or pointed to the kingdom of God, including his miracles and all the different things that he did, all of it was centered around the kingdom of God until he went to the cross to make a way for people to get into the kingdom of God. His, all of his ministry was about that, about making a way for people to get into the kingdom of God. And he spent three years teaching them about it so that when he died for their sins, he died for our sins, that he, they would understand, we would understand what it was all about, what the cross was all about. Without an understanding of the kingdom of the God, then we don't really understand what the cross is about. And so he spent all that time. That's why studying the gospel is so important to us because it teaches us about God, teaches us about the kingdom of God so that we understand the need for the cross. And by understanding the need for the cross, we understand the need, our need to go to the cross ourselves and to receive from Christ what he offers to us there. Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias. We see that term being used interchangeably. As he's standing there, there's a multitude of people around. Anytime you see that term multitude, you typically read thousands. You know that Typically when they're using that term, you're talking about thousands. Imagine that. Jesus is hanging out at the beach and there are thousands of people that are there to hear from this carpenter from Nazareth. Jesus went where he was able to tell the story of the kingdom of God. That's so important for us to understand that that God is writing a story, right? I've been saying that all through this series. God is writing a story, the story of Jesus Christ in whose life? Rick's life? Well, yes, Rick's life, but not just my life, in your life. That we need to take God's word and make it personal, that, that while the story, he is the subject, he is the star, he is the main focus. That the story that God is writing in my life is about him. Though I'm a character in that story, and ultimately God would call me to be a storyteller. To tell the story that God is writing. And Jesus would go wherever the multitudes would gather to me you know and i was having a conversation with Randy about this before the service to me this is one of the attractions of social media to me you know you can you can love it or hate it but that's where the multitudes are and so is there a way to tell the story of Jesus Christ on social media absolutely there is and that we ought to be using every every channel, every vehicle that there is so that we can communicate the message of Jesus Christ in a way that glorifies God, blesses others, and grows our faith so that the message of Jesus Christ can get as far and wide as it possibly can. You know, we're living in a different world, right? I was commenting, you know, Randy and I, you know, we're, he's, he's old, but I'm not quite so old. <laughs> we're really close in age. We were born... Into a world that used rotary phones and had three, count them, three TV channels. That was a world we were born into. You know, the youth here in the room have no clue what I'm talking about, they don't understand it. You know, they were born into a world with smartphones. And social media, a world that's connected with thousands thousands of channels. YouTube, billions and billions upon of videos that they have access to. It's a different world. Go to where the multitudes are gathering. Verse 3. Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Simon, also known as Peter. Um, Jesus actually gave him the name, the the I don't know if you call it a nickname, but the other name of Peter. Um, we see that in Mark 316. Simon Peter has been following Jesus for quite a while. You know, sometimes you read through the gospels. If you don't read them together, you might miss some things. That Simon Peter was actually, and several other the apostles or disciples were with Jesus right from the very beginning. In John 1, verse 40, it says this, One of the two who had heard John, John the Baptist, speak, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Even before Jesus was baptized, you know, he, the, the, Andrew was connected with John the Baptist, who was preaching about the Messiah, And then Andrew was there when when John said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then shortly after that, Jesus received the baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him. God, my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And then Andrew says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, we found the Messiah. Goes and finds Peter, brings him. And Peter has been connected to Jesus in some way. Now, we don't know all the details of how the relationship evolved, but Peter and Jesus are acquainted. And so they're standing on the beach and and Jesus is getting crowded off into the water, you would imagine, by these thousands of people. And so he gets Peter to come out a little ways from the shore so that he can have a pulpit to preach, continue to teach the multitudes, the thousands that are gathered there on the beach. Jesus adapted his technique to the circumstances. And that is another thing I just want to touch on for just a second. This is an important principle for the church. Because the church has a nasty habit of getting religious. And And they develop these patterns of behavior that they use. And then they say, okay, this is how church is done. I think what we need to remember, the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is changeless. Truth is changeless. It never changes. The message never changes. But the technique that we use to communicate the message does. Must change. It has to change. Jesus does something next that, that I believe was very personal, though very public. I want to set the scene here, just a moment. Jesus is in the boat, and, and Simon is there, Simon Peter, and I'm guessing also Andrew, but we, can't, we don't know that for certain, but Simon at least is there in the boat. And, and they are probably drowsy because the word tells us they had been fishing all night. They've been working and, and fishing in that environment was hard work. And so they've been at it all night long and then they came in and they were cleaning their nets, cleaning and mending their nets. They were tired. You can imagine. I mean some of you are probably, you know, right now, nodding off right now as I'm talking. I know that. <laughs> You've been working hard. It's hard sometimes to stay awake. Even when you want to sometimes hard. Imagine. You know, remember it's you know, I am guessing that uh, this is not the first time that Simon Peter has sat through one of Jesus' sermons. He has heard Jesus teach probably lots of times. He's seen miracles. One happened in his own house when his mother-in-law was healed. They've been following his story. And then at some point, it appears that Jesus finishes preaching, and he looks at Peter, and he sees something is missing. Something is not quite right in Peter. And so he does something. We have the account here, starting in verse 4, that I believe was targeted directly at Simon. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and lit down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. These professional fishermen, right? Peter, Simon, ultimately um, James and John are going to be the other two in 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 the story are professional fishermen. They have a family business of fishing. They've probably been doing it their whole life. They probably learned how to do it as children. Their parents, you know, Zebedee was a fisherman, James and John's father, that he was a fisherman, he owned the fishing business. They knew what they were doing. And then Jesus, the carpenter, says, hey, 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 go out, let down your nets and notice what he says. Let down your nets for a catch. Not let down your nets and see what let's see what happens. Let's not let, let's not, not let's not let go fishing. You know, you know what you say to you know when when you go when you go fishing, you don't catch anything? They say, well, that's why they call it fishing and not catching. Because sometimes you don't catch something. But he said, let down your nets for a catch. Huge haul of fish. Their nets are breaking. And we've got to, again, picture ourselves on the scene. The multitudes are pro- probably still on the beach. And, and not very much time has passed, so they're still hanging out. And, they're, and the boat is not so far out that they can't see what's going on. They're close enough that they can call to their partners who are still on the beach and get them to come out and help. This huge haul of fish. And what happened? How did this happen? You know, I, I've heard all kinds of stupid things people say about what this, you know, what happened here. You know, Jesus just looked out and he could see a school of fish. Uh, if Jesus could see it, so could Peter, and Peter wouldn't objected to actually going out and doing it. Yeah, I, I've been tuna fishing a few times. You know, so I have stories. We're not going to tell those stories right now. But every now and then, you'll be on the boat and you'll see you'll see the tuna, what they call boiling. And they're just out there, and they, they've, you know, a, a school of tuna have found a school of bait fish, and they just start going after it, and, they, and they're churning up the water around, around those bait fish. And the captain of the boat, you know, somebody will say, you know, over there. And, they, and so they take the boat over there, because you take the boat over there, throw your bait out, and you catch tuna. That's not what was going on here. One of the things they tell us here in, this, in the context here is fishing during the daytime. That's not when they fished. They fished at night. And so, so Peter is, you know, is, is responding to Jesus telling him to do something that in Peter's mind was ultimately a waste of time. Jesus called Peter to an act of faith and obedience. And in my opinion, Peter responded with one of them. He responded with obedience. I am not convinced that any, in any imagination that he believed. He believed in Jesus, believed that Jesus was master. He called him that, master. But I don't believe that he believed that it was going to do any good. And in a raw manifestation of the power of God's creation, Jesus brought the fish to the net. Now, people often focus on the miraculous catch as the point of the miracle. They apply it to evangelism. You know, if in faith and obedience you let out the nets, that Jesus will fill them with lost souls. Now, I believe that's true. I believe we need to respond in faith and obedience, and if we let out the net, Jesus will be the one that fills it. It won't be us. But I don't believe that's the point of this miracle. I believe the point of the miracle is verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. As I was preparing and meditating on this, you know, I, I just kind of I I again reminded myself of Simon Peter's relationship with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He had been around when Jesus worked other miracles, lots of other miracles. Healings and casting out demons and and all these different things that Jesus did, healing lepers. Yeah, we're gonna see get that next week, but he was doing it before then, too. Healing people that could not be healed. And so what was so special about this miracle that it had this effect on Peter? Why was this miracle special to him? I believe it's because Peter was a professional fisherman. And this hit him right in his point of strength. That in Peter's life, he did not need God to catch fish. He did it all by himself. Brothers and sisters, all of us have something we think we're good enough without God. And so God, through the Son, burst into his reality in a way that convinced him that God was far greater than his puny strength in that area. When Peter let down those nets, and I'm convinced that he did not believe that it would result in anything. He had fished all night long in the time when you should catch fish and caught nothing, which by the way, I believe also is another miracle, that God kept his nets empty all night on purpose. That's a, an aside. I have no evidence for that. I just, I just believe that. He did not believe that they would be any good. And brothers and sisters, especially if you've been involved in ministry at any length, in any amount, there are times when we go about the work of the ministry not convinced that it's going to do any good. We just let down the nets. And God, in his amazing grace, fills them anyways. That blows me away. You know, we, we talk about, you know, if, there, if you don't have faith, nothing's going to happen. Uh, no, God does stuff anyways because he is God and does what he wants to do. He doesn't need our faith. Now, things seem to work better when we operate in faith. But obedi- obedience comes first. Sometimes faith follows obedience, right? And would you anybody agree to that? Sometimes it takes obedience before <laughs> faith comes. So I tell people, you know, I, I'm not sure I believe. I don't care. Do it anyway. Do what's right. Do what is right and then let God build faith in you. And He will. If you can, believe. But if you can't, obey. And if you can do both, that's even better. Amen? I believe this miracle, you know, I, it was very public. I believe everybody could see it. The multitudes on the beach could see it, the guys on the boat could see it. You know, It was a very public thing, but ultimately, I think it was meant to minister to Peter specifically, personally, individually, and God still does that. God still does things in the world that are amazing, but only a couple notice it. Only a few will notice. These great, miraculous things that God sometimes does, and only a few will notice. Only those with spiritual eyes to see, with ears to hear, will notice. Three things I want you to see from Peter's response. Yeah, Simon Simon Peter has a new awareness, kind of bursts onto his life. Again, he's, he knows Jesus. He's heard Jesus. He's seen Jesus. He's seen miracles. Something about this miracle did something, revealed something to him. And I believe we see three things here in this, in this verse 8. First is he is aware of who Jesus is. Now, he knew Jesus, but something about this miracle opened up his awareness. In verse 5, he referred to Jesus as Master giving him respect, uh, implying a a level of authority over his life. And then in verse 8, he refers to him as Lord. Totally different. Jesus would later ask the disciples who they believed he was. Who do do men say that I am? And they said, and he said, who do you believe that I am? Oh, that's an important question for all of us to answer. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God the Son sent by the Father to save us from our sins. I believe it's right here in this text where he, that, that, that reality starts to dawn on him. The awareness of who Jesus really is that he's not just a great teacher, he's not just a miracle worker, he's not just a prophet. No, there's more to him than that. And that is, he is God the Son, sent to save humanity. Second thing he realized, became aware of, is who Peter is. He says, I am a sinful man. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Kind of a neat corollary to this. Peter was probably no worse than anyone else in the boat. right? Would you acknowledge that? There's no reason for us to believe that it was any worse or or better than anyone else in that boat. But in the presence of the perfection of the Christ, the Messiah, God the Son, sent to save us from our sins, in the presence of God, He has this radical understanding, realization of who He is. Prophet Isaiah had a similar experience. Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is giving given this amazing vision of the perfection of God, God's glory in heaven, and the throne of God and the things of God that are going on, and the and the commotion that's going on in heaven. And his response, just like the the doors of the or the posts of the doors are shaken, so is he. Verse five, and I so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees the glory of God, and he recognizes how unglorious he is. Anytime you are confronted with God's glory, power, or holiness, it ought to make us more aware of who we are. This is not a popular topic and one you'll rarely hear in a lot of churches. You know what, brothers and sisters, i got bad news for you. You're all sinners. And compared to God, you are a mess. I'm a mess. Turn back to Luke chapter 5. The third thing that Peter became aware of after Coming, this realization you know what I'm a mess I, I am I am not like you Jesus and you, and you need to depart from me you need to get away from me because I, I am too messed messed up to be around you third thing that Peter became aware of is Christ's mission None of, none of the disciples ever really fully grasped the mission of Christ. As you study through the Gospels, you'll see that none of them really got it. You know, right up to the very end, they're, they're, they're asking Jesus questions about things that, you know, that, you know, the, you know like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Dude, you guys are just not getting it at all. I'm sure Jesus said dude at least once. What Simon believed, not that he necessarily understood what Christ's mission was, but what he perceived, what he believed, is that he was in no way able to walk with Jesus along that mission. That he and Jesus could not be on the same path. Peter's saying, I'm too messed up to walk this path with you. I'm too messed up Messed up. I am too broken to go where you're going. And so Peter, or Simon says, Simon Peter says, Depart from me. Depart from me. Which, just so you know, is a prayer that God will never answer. Or I could say another way the answer that he will give you will always be no. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can tell God to depart from you all day long, and the answer will always be no. No matter how bad you are, no matter how messed up you are, no matter how far you wander from him, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he will never depart from you. Over the years, I've talked with people regularly who believed that they were too broken to be useful to God. God can't use me because of this. God can't use me because of that, because of my experience, because of my past, because of my attitude, blah, 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 blah. What Jesus tells Simon next is powerful to me. It is important for all of us to understand. Verse 9. For he, he, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Now, all who were with him uh, probably included Simon and James and John. Now, there may have been others in the boat as well. We just don't know that for certain, how many crew members were on these boats. They weren't really big, but they may have had a couple other guys on each boat. We don't know that for sure. But at least those four guys were present. Verse 10, he says this. "And, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon... Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Elsewhere, the other gospel says, you will be a fisher of men. Saying, Simon, as messed up as you are, I have a use for you. I want to use you. In God's kingdom, there are no useless people. Just people who won't let God use them. Let me say it again. In God's kingdom, there are no useless people. Only people who won't let God use them. Peter thought he was useless to the mission of Christ. Jesus took Peter right from where he was. He, he didn't say to Peter, here, here, here's the deal, Peter. I got this amazing plan for your life. And so here's, you know, I want you to go to seminary. You know, I want you to, you know, work, you know, for a few years as an intern, you know, in a church and then maybe go do a mission thing over here and then I'll use you. No, he said, I'll, I'll take you dirty, smelly fishermen and I'm going to use you to catch men. There is no one in God's kingdom that he can't use. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has a use for you. That he established before he created you. He created something for you to do, a way that he could use you to communicate the message, the story of Jesus Christ to this world. And all of us have a unique way of telling that story. We are created differently. Again, Randy and I had a long conversation today. It was one of the things we talked about. God made me different than Randy. The way Randy's going to tell the story is different than the way I'm going to tell the story. You know, most of the time he gets it right, and so that, you know, that blesses me. <laughs> no, he's good. I like, I like that guy. Jesus came teaching about the kingdom of God, telling the story of God and his infinite love and grace, and mercy, and hope, and peace, and all of the things that God offers us. He came and told that story through his son and through his messengers. And before he left, Jesus told his disciples to keep telling the story. We call this the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them. This is at the end of his time on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, tell the story, convincingly tell the story, of all the nations, baptizing them, bring them to a place of of response, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, take them and disciple them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Keep telling the story. Yeah, there are three great moments in the life of every believer. Three. Or should be three great moments. There aren't always, but three great moments in the life of every believer. The first one we all share, and that is conversion. At some point, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, at some point, God broke into your reality, supernaturally broke into your reality and communicated to you in such a way that you believed that what the Bible says about Jesus is true, what the Bible says that he did on your behalf is true, that he died for your sin so that you could spend all of eternity in heaven with God. Every believer goes through that. It's a moment when they decided to let Jesus be Lord, Savior. Savior. to accept his sacrifice, to repent of their sins. There's a second great moment in the life of a believer, and that's the moment of consecration. That is when we choose, we make a decision. There's a point where we make a decision to let the Holy Spirit make us into the child of God that we should be, and to be like Christ. For me, it just so happens, just a quick little plug for the men's retreat, it happened for me at a men's retreat. I was at a men's retreat, and I'd been a believer for a while, and, it, and something, and I can't remember the circumstances, all I remember was realizing that there was more to church and God than what was happening on Sunday morning. Just showing up on Sunday morning was not what it was to be a Christian. There was more to it than that. And It was that moment I made a choice in my life to allow God to start changing me. Choosing to change. Now, he was already changing me. But I decided to cooperate. All of us should go through that one. A lot don't. A lot go through the point of conversion. And they never move past that. We would call these carnal christians or worldly christians where they're very much like the rest of the world around them they just claim belief in jesus christ but they're not allowing they're not cooperating with the holy spirit to change them and mold them do you think that's what god wants he commands it be like my son jesus right he says that don't be holy for i am holy he has a desire for us to be consecrated to be set apart as holy unto god doesn't mean we're perfect but it means we're being conformed and changed into the person of Jesus Christ. And all of our acts, all of our thoughts, all of our behaviors, all of our attitudes, all of those things ought to be changing. For some people, this happens right after conversion. They get saved, and all of a sudden, they're, they're just like, okay, I'm all on board, I'm on fire for Jesus, I'm, I want every, in my, every element, everything in my life to change. And they go through this radical transformation. Some take longer took me longer. Some take years. And I have met Christians who have been Christians for decades. And they're no different than they were the day they were saved. Personally, I can't imagine a more miserable life. At some point, we have to make a choice to abandon the ways of the world and choose the ways of God. The third great moment is commission. Notice I alliterated there, or not alliterated. Is that right? What's the word I'm looking for? Three C's, all similar? Never mind. Okay, I was right. Thank you. Thank you, somebody agreeing with me. Standing up here feeling like I was all alone. <laughs> Simon Peter thought he was worthless to God. And and I I don't have to know every one of you intimately to know that there are probably people in this room right now that believe they're useless to God or might just believe they're useless. God has never created a useless human ever. Not once, not ever. Every person he has ever created was created on purpose with a purpose. And it is a glorious purpose that he's created you for. Peter thought, you (laughs) I am too messed up. I am too broken. Jesus, you can't use me. But Jesus knew better than that. Jesus knew about the book of Acts. He knew what was going to happen in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached what we often refer to as the first sermon in the church. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, and he stands up and preaches to the people that gather around, and 3,000 people are saved. Can you say hallelujah to that? Come on. Preach it. He knew that Peter would go on to be one of the, the founding representatives or members of the church and would cause it to spread throughout. The world. He would be the one that would ultimately open the door to the Gentiles, to to us, non-Jews. Though Paul was the one that ultimately ministered to them, Peter was the very first one. He was the one that would write two of some, some of the most powerful letters in the New Testament. Not only that, but he influenced the writing of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus knew that. And He knows your future. You can say to me all day long, I am useless to God. And I'm going to say, how do you know that? What do you know that God doesn't know? Because the God that I love and serve and loves me knows better than that. He knows why he made you. He knows what he made you for. Jesus looks around the church and does not see useless sinners like Peter thought he was. But he does see unused saints. I think that ought to be a word of conviction for some. For some of you, you know, you're here for a reason. You know why you're here. And you've not stood up and said, here I am, Lord, send me. And I think that ought to be a word of conviction to us. We ought to allow that word to settle in and say, what, what, do you, what would you have me do, Lord? And when I, when I first started getting involved in service, I, I, I can't tell you why I did it, but I had a, a sense in my spirit, I just needed to offer myself to God. And the only way I could figure out how to do that was to offer myself to the church and go to the church and say, okay, here I am. Use me wherever you want. It was really a bad decision on my part because they put me in some really bad places. They weren't bad, but they were hard. I don't like it to be hard in my life. It's supposed to be easy when I'm serving Jesus. Yeah, sure. <laughs> God has a place for you. you know, it doesn't have to be in the church. You know, we, we talk about the church because it's an organized place where we can do it and we can, we can, we can help you along the way, but you can serve God anywhere. Jesus saved you so that you could be with him forever. That's his desire. He wants you to be with him forever. But also so that you could join him in his mission on this earth. We're only going to be here for a little while. We're going to be in heaven forever. We're only going to be here for a little while. We need to take every advantage that we have, every moment we have, every opportunity we have to be used by God to serve him to continue to communicate his message to the world around us and invite others into his Father's kingdom. In 1 John 2, it says this, verses 5 and 6, Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also to walk just as he walked. You need to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. If we we take that literally, how did Jesus behave while he walked on this earth? Well, there are certain things he did. What was the main thing that Jesus did? He taught the kingdom of God to others and helped them understand how to get into it. And the same thing is true for all of us. That doesn't mean you ought to be preachers. There's only room for one of us up here right now but you can be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever God puts you. Wherever you are is where you are. It's where he would have you to serve him, where he wants to use you. Though there may be some practical things you could do in the church or in other ministries around, you're called to minister the gospel wherever you go, to tell his story wherever you go. You should be telling his story, to walk just as, as he walked. Jesus came to tell that story. And then Jesus commissioned us to walk as he walked. To tell the story of Christ in the world. The miraculous catch and this conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter impacts everyone. Verse 11. And then we're going to close. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Again, Put yourself into the account. They're out there on the water. This huge catch of fish, so big that it just just blows them away. There's so many fish that it threatens to, to capsize both boats, fills them to overflowing. They come in, and they're so blown away by all of this, they walk away from it all. Two boatloads of fish the family business of fishing and everything else, they walk away from it because they caught a vision. They were invited into the work of Christ. They caught the vision of what it was that Jesus was hoping to accomplish, at least some degree of it, and they knew they couldn't be what they were and be what God said they could be. They saw that something had to go. And in the case of these four fishermen, everything had to go. Now, now, you know, I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you want to love Jesus, you've got to forsake everything. Sell everything you have, give it to the church. Make your checks out to Rick Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You know, a few people are called to forsake all. I, I think of Pastor Brandon Rue. Bat, right, Rue, not Brandon Rue, Brandon Ingram. I think of him in Indonesia. I mean, he left everything to go to Indonesia and has been there for how long now? 10, 11, 12, 18 years. Okay, 18 years since he was a wee child. I mean, and he's, and that, that is what he is now. That is his life. And when I first answered the call, In 2002, God called me to literally to leave a career that I had invested 20 years into, to walk away from it, to turn from it and never go back to be a pastor. And and the fascinating thing, you got to remember, I loved what I did. I loved working. I loved the job I had. I loved the industry I was in. I loved the people I was working with. But when the call came, it was so irresistible. I couldn't, re- I, you know, I couldn't resist it. And when, I, and when I turned and followed, I never felt a drawback. I never felt like I, I had abandoned something. I forsook that for something that ultimately God has proven to me over and over and over again was infinitely better than what I had. God will never call you into something worse. It'll be something different. But if it's what he calls you into, it's always better. For most people, it's not even going to be like that. God may not call you out of anything. He may call you into whatever it is you're doing to bring his message in. He may call you to be a, a, a missionary nurse. A, a, give me another profession. A, a policeman. We got a policeman in the back. You know, a, a managing a retail outlet. There's so many different ways. Everything that you do in your life, a teacher where you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not be able to say it outright. You may not be able to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and if you want to go to heaven, come see me, I'll help you to do that, because you may not have the freedom to do that. But you can communicate the gospel in the way that you live your life. The words that you use, the gentleness of your heart, the humility, the graciousness, the mercy, the truth that you try to bring into it. We can say the truth without 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 standing up on a soapbox with signboards front and back saying the end is near, repent or go to hell. <laughs> once, you, once you make that choice to follow Jesus, to truly follow him, to recognize that God has commissioned you for something, whatever it is, wherever you are, he's commissioned you for something. And once you make that determination and you start down that path, you will realize that there is no other life that you can live. You know, I've, I've often, I've had, you know, I've gone through a thought experiment on a number of occasions in my life. What if? What if I couldn't be a pastor anymore? Let me tell you, it gets dark really fast in my life. I can't see it. I can't imagine it. Now, if God were to change something in my life so I couldn't do it, I know that he would open up some other door, but right this moment, I don't see it. And I believe the same would be true in you. When you follow his plan for your life, when you find that thing that he's commissioned you to do, you will live a life that is so different and glorious and amazing and fulfilling and, and you know, and not always, but most of the time joyous, that you would, you'll look at it and say, I can't imagine doing anything else in my life. Whatever it is, wherever you are, I don't know what to say, you retired guys. You know, you're just gonna have to do something. Get to work. Jesus once asked his disciples something. It was one of the most one of those profound things that that Jesus often did this, asking questions and getting his disciples to reveal what was inside of them. And every now and then they would say something absolutely just mind-blowing. And this was one of them. When Jesus was saying some hard things and people started leaving. And he turned to his disciples and said, so, you guys want to go too? You guys want to leave? And Simon Peter responds in John six sixty eight, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How do you know when you are where you're supposed to be? When the idea of leaving brings that response. Uh, Where would I go? What else would I do? God is writing a story in your life. You're going to hear me say it over and over again. The story of Jesus. Your mission in this world is to tell that story. In the way that God created you to tell it. Not the way I tell it. God created me to tell the story the way I tell it. He created Tia to tell a different story. He created, i got to stop naming people, sorry. He created each of us to tell the story our way. And we've got to discover what that way is. How you do it isn't based on how God made you. God, God took Simon Peter, a fisherman, and said, I will make you a fisher of men Whatever your thing is, whatever you're doing, God called you to tell Jesus' story there. You do it through your words. You do it through your relationships. You do it through your attitudes. You do it through your behaviors. You do it through, your, you do it through every element of your life. You're telling Jesus' story to the world. And, you know, and people would look at me and say, well, I, I, I don't know how to do that, right? I mean, I mean, somebody acknowledge that that that's not always easy to do, right? I don't get it all the time. I don't see it different circumstances come up in my life and I just don't know how to live Jesus' life in that circumstance. Well, one of the best ways I've found to learn how to tell his story, to live out that story, is to be in community with other people telling Jesus' story. You know, we talk about this all the time. If you want to know how to live this life, this Christian life, you need to be around other people who are living a Christian life. You know, you, know, we, you know, we talk about ccfe.life, and, 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 and I would encourage you to make it a regular part of your life just to spend time going through what that thing. It's filled with stuff to connect you to the life of the church. That's what it's there for. To, you know, that's why I say ccfe.life, because we want you to engage with the life of the church. Why? So that we can claim, you know, 27 people showed up at the prayer meeting no because when we engage in the life of the church we experience more of the life of Christ we have more life in us and if you if you do that i promise you the you know, people that engage in the life of the church you, you be around them and you and you'll sense their joy But you get around people that, especially people that are involved in service, and they're not engaging in the life of the church, man, they are miserable to be around. There's only like one of those in the whole church. So we'll we'll be praying for Andy tomorrow. (laughs) (coughs) He's fine. (laughs) No, we'll wait till the board meeting, then we'll do it. The life of the church is so important, brothers and sisters, and I'm 15 seconds from being out of time. Get connected. There's something mysterious that happens when the people of God show up together. The Holy Spirit fills us with life. And so many things in this world are draining us of life. I mean, would you acknowledge that? Yeah, that, that sometimes the life gets drained out of us. It's, it's a natural process. It happens to just about everybody. It just being around the world drains us of spiritual life. And you need something that fills it up. And, and, and I and I as much as I love having you here on Sunday mornings, that's not enough. You need more than that. And again, I don't say that just so we'll fill up all of our events. Yeah, I don't care. Well, I do care, but if you show up, we're doing them anyway. We're going to keep doing them. And we had an amazing prayer time last Sunday. It had a, a decent number of people showed up. We've had times where it's relatively small, four. You know what? I'm going to keep doing them. You know why? Because I experienced the presence of God. I experienced the life of Christ. I experienced the Holy Spirit moving in me and I'm I am I'll, I'll be the first admit. I'm a selfish guy. I want all God I can get. That's why I want more of you there because the more of you there, the more God I get. And you get more God too. So it's like a mutually beneficial. Okay, I got to finish. And when you do that, you will learn and you'll start to discover what God created you for. You'll start to find that place, that thing that God made you for, made you special for. Simon Peter and others responded, by forsaking all and following Jesus, he could have said no. He could have kept on fishing, lived an ordinary life. But by saying yes to Jesus, his life became extraordinary. And that's the hope I have for all of you. You can keep living the life that you're living and and your life may be a good life. But is it an ordinary life, or is it extraordinary? The God inside of you, the Holy Spirit, has the power to make your life extraordinary. But we have to get onto his program. We have to allow him to do that work inside of us. We have to accept the commission that he's given us and go out and tell the story of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. Amen?